Good morning. Let us hear from God's word through the Apostle John. The thief comes only to to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word given for our good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks, Ben. If you would remain standing a moment longer, and we'll just pray, and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us here this morning, and I recognize, Lord, we're all in kind of different places. Some of us are more ready than others to just really hear and learn. And we just ask that you would be so kind and merciful to open the eyes of the blind once again. That you would do that this morning. And we would see you. And you'd be beautiful and believable. So lead us by your spirit. Illuminate the scriptures. And teach us to follow you. For we pray In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. I have never had the pleasure of meeting you. My name's Ronnie. So recently, we have begun this sermon series in the Gospel of John on these I am statements that Jesus makes. And if you're unfamiliar or haven't, uh, if you're new to this, uh, you know what we do during this time is we just open up these ancient, ancient words, some as old as 2,500 years that we'll hear even today. And they're strange and mysterious and they're deeply historic. And yet we really believe that they're God-breathed. And so we're just going to contemplate them and study them and trust them together. 
so this week we're going to um, learn about that moment when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And, uh, you know, if you were here last week, this is a continuation from last week's sermon because uh, you'll remember Pastor Jason preached the first 10 verses in, in John 10, and then now I'm picking up in 10 and continuing. Now, before I get to the passage, what I want to do is give a little bit of theological context that I think will really help us to understand the weightiness of Jesus's words. See, in the Old Testament, we begin to see God, this creator God, who, uh, who is passionate about restoring the whole world that had come under the curse of sin. And so God looks at this mess that we've made, and he is determined to fix it. And so what he does is God elects Israel to be this rescue team or this restoration team. And so Israel was, incredi- was an incredibly privileged people who was, they were supposed to use that blessing to bless and restore the whole world. The God of Israel was never only interested in Israel, although he loved them very much, but he was interested in using Israel to benefit the whole world. But Israel, if you read carefully the Old Testament, they didn't do their job. And they became arrogant and violent. And instead of blessing the world, they wanted to exploit it. And their leaders were awful. And so in response, God punished them and sent them off into exile. Now, while they're in exile, God raised up a prophet, his name is Ezekiel, to address some of the terrible actions and behaviors of the leaders of Israel. Guess what he calls those leaders of Israel? He calls them shepherds. Jason touched on this last week, but let me give you a a, a quick run, uh, run through some of the highlights of this very famous passage in the prophet Ezekiel. This is in chapter 34, where he is speaking against these wicked shepherds. He says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who take care of only yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled, uh, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. And as sure as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, therefore, you shepherds, hear the words of the Lord. I am against the shepherds, and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock. I will rescue the flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. I myself, says the Lord, will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them. That's like 
hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. Now, hearing that, do you hear the critique both against the shepherds, but also do you hear God himself taking responsibility to be the true shepherd and to rescue them in the future? You heard that, right? Well, in the time of Jesus, Israel is under the oppression of the Roman Empire, and Israel is waiting for this promised shepherd of Ezekiel to come. That is the way Israel is, is waiting for their Messiah to arrive. And it's in this messianic expectation, in this messianic context, that Jesus begins to speak about himself. And he says, I am that good shepherd. God, Jesus is God's agent to ensure that his mission of restoration will be complete. Remember, God blessed Israel so that they would bless the whole world. And so Jesus discloses this mission, even in this passage, if you look there at verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And so what he's doing is he's looking at the Jews and the Gentiles and he's applying this metaphorical language and he describes the people of the world as sheep. They're his sheeple. So to the Jews, he says, you're not my only flock. I mean, I care about you, but I am the shepherd of the whole world, Jews and Gentiles. Now, this is where this metaphorical language really gets interesting, or this metaphor. So, you know, shepherds in the West, as we kind of think of shepherds, they tend to lead their flocks from behind. Uh, you've probably seen this in movies or in Western, movie, uh, Western shows. Uh, shepherds will send out their dogs to kind of steer the sheep, to kind of steer the flock in the direction that the, the, the pastor or the shepherd wants. That strategy is not how shepherds in the East did their job during the time of Jesus. See, in the East, a shepherd leads his flock from the front. See, the sheep were so familiar and so enchanted with the voice of the shepherd that they followed him. And this imagery is what Jesus envisions will happen to all of us. See, each week you guys were studying the words of Jesus, as if we're hearing his voice, and we are. So today he says, I am the good shepherd. And, and as we study this passage, I mean, you're going to find these words gripping. He's not, he's not sending his dogs after us, right? On the contrary, Jesus is just simply irresistible and enchanting and beautiful, And when we have ears to hear the beauty of Jesus' claims, we will follow him. Like, we'll desire it. Like, there will be this fire in our belly. Listen, do you you struggle with your faith? Do you struggle to believe? Allow me to suggest that your problem is that you do not experience Jesus as the most beautiful and compelling force in your life. 
See, as humans, we are magnetically attracted to our appetites and we're magnetically attracted to beauty. And if this is true, then, then the goal of Christianity is not to hate the world, but rather to allow the beauty of Christ to captivate us, to allow his beauty to overwhelm all of these competing appetites and these competing idols that want to take our attention. So this morning, what we're going to do in this passage is we're going to explore the beauty of Jesus by asking this question. Why does Jesus call himself the good shepherd? See, that word good, the, 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 the philologists, the commentaries, they, they will tell us that that word good doesn't simply describe a moral posture between good and bad. It, it describes, it's hinting at something much more transcendent, closer to the word of beautiful. And so why is this shepherd beautiful? I'm going to attempt to answer that question as we study this in three ways. He's beautiful because the shepherd knows you, the shepherd protects you, and the shepherd uses his authority for you. And those are our three points. Let's start studying this text with our first point. The shepherd knows you. So if you look in your Bibles there in verse 14, so Jesus repeats, he says, I am the good shepherd. And then he continues, he says, I know my own and my own know me. And so as we've been seeing that Jesus is offering us this metaphor, this analogy of sheep and shepherds, because it would have been extremely familiar to the original audience. There's this type of relationship, and Jason taught this last week. There's this relationship between sheep and shepherd that is quite unique. So sheep are desperately dependent on their shepherds, and they cannot, they cannot take care of themselves. You know, it's interesting, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew records that this moment where Jesus is looking over the crowds, and it says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without shepherds will perish. And that being the case, that, that, that sheep are fully dependent on their shepherds, they become extremely familiar with one another. Apart from the shepherd's staff, which is one of his tools, his greatest tool is his voice, right? So with a few sounds of his mouth, the sheep know how to return to their master. So it's not uncommon for shepherds to even name their sheep and call them by their name. I read this story of this group of five shepherds and they gathered all of their sheep around this one water, watering hole. And so there are about 100 sheep in total, and they're all mixed up together. Well, when it came time to leave, uh, you'd expect that it'd just be a hot mess dividing the sheep. But what they did is they all just kind of backed away from each other, and they did their whistle, called their names. And in a surprisingly orderly manner, the sheep separated themselves and returned to their master, to their shepherd. There was no confusion. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd. True story. And perhaps even more importantly, it's the shepherd who knows his sheep. Now that is what Jesus is suggesting here 
when he uses this word know, because it's, it's more than just intellectual knowledge. So in the following verse, so he says in verse 14, I know my own, my own know me. And then he explains in verse 15, the extent of this knowledge. In what way does God know us? Look there at verse 15. He says, well, just as the father knows me, I know, and I know the father. Now, that analogy suggests that, that God's knowledge of us is comprehensive. So Jesus' knowledge has no limitations. Jesus is the good shepherd because he truly comprehensively knows us. Now, I don't know if that sounds a little bit abstract to you. So let me just help you see the beauty of this truth. Um, you guys, I, uh, y'all know I was gone for one Sunday in December because I was doing the wedding uh, of Cole and Katie Wilder, and I got to study and share with them from John chapter 10 a little bit of what I'm sharing with you today. Um, y'all, Katie was this splendid, beautiful bride. It was incredible. It was in Chattanooga, and it was beautiful. Now, listen, I've done a lot of weddings in my life. Most pastors will tell you there's this one part of the ceremony that is extra special, and it's the vows. It's the vows. Now, how come? Well, during the exchange of the vows, the couple will stop looking at me and they'll grab each other's hands and and they look at each other in the eyes and they make promises. And, And the bride and the groom, right? They're dressed up in these beautiful clothes. They look great. Like everyone is staring at them. And they took these vows. And if you listen carefully, the all of the vows are in future tense. Right? They're saying, I will love you for richer and poor and sickness and health, right? And in joy and sadness until death in the future, until death do us part. And when the couple is taking these vows, what they're not saying is that I love you today, right? Because everyone knows that already. That's why we're having the wedding, because they love each other today. What they're saying in these vows is that we will love each other even though we have no idea what the future holds. And listen, however much the couple thinks that they know each other, it is super naive. Like when a couple gets married, they, they barely know each other. I don't care if they finish each other's sentences. They don't know each other barely at all. And not only do they not know each other that well, They know nothing about what the future holds for them. And yet there they are, without perfect knowledge, making promises. And do you know why this is all so super romantic? Because when the couple is staring into each other's eyes, what they're really promising is this, that when I find out what you are truly like, I'm not going to leave. I'm staying. And when you find out what I'm truly like, you're staying. And no matter what happens, even when we see who we truly are, we're staying. Some of you, I know you're single and you're like, man, I wish I had that. And I know there's even married couples who are like, ah, I wish I had that. But guess what? And here's what I want you to know. Whether you are single or married, all of us have something better than that. 
because of John 10. And let me explain. Listen, no spouse can truly know the other. I mean, no spouse can read the mind of the other. If a person could know perfectly what is passing through the mind of their spouse and comprehensively know every single thought, every sordid fantasy, every weird justification, I mean, would there be any happy marriages? I mean, could the, could the couple survive that? I mean, if any person could know us that perfectly, we would be extremely afraid, wouldn't we? And that person would never stay with us. Jesus, the good shepherd, does have that. He does have comprehensive knowledge of who we are, of who we will be. Like he sees all the dumb stuff that we've ever done. And he sees all the dumb stuff that we're absolutely going to do in five years. All the things that we'd be so embarrassed about if you found out just the shame that would grip us. Jesus knows all that you're going to do in the future. And yet he grabs your hands and he looks you in the eyes and he says, I'm staying. I know what you're really like. I know you and I'm never going to leave. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, what kind of religion, what kind of God promotes that kind of unconditional love. You know, that's the kind of love that you and I, we're not capable of that. The good shepherd knows you comprehensively and he will keep on loving you because that's who Jesus says that he is. And so, you know, maybe today, maybe you don't even believe in God, but wouldn't you at least want that to be true of the God of the universe? That kind of enchanting beauty is indeed what Jesus is offering us. The power of this beautiful love is what is strong enough to bring us to God himself. The shepherd is a good shepherd precisely because he knows you and he stays. But there's more. The good shepherd also protects you. And this is now our second point. The good shepherd protects you. So Jesus, in this passage, continues to explore this relationship between sheep and shepherd. So in those days, um, like when a shepherd needed a break, he would contract with a hired hand or a watchman. So right, as we've learned, sheep require constant care. And so it was necessary on occasion to recruit additional help. The problem is, is that a hired hand relates to sheep differently than their pastor, their, their shepherd. To a hired hand, the sheep are just a means to an end, right? They're just a job so that the hired hand can earn money. And so for this reason, the hired hand doesn't have any loyalty to those sheep. So what happens if... I don't know, like if a wolf appears, look there in verse 12 and 13, Jesus says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So the logic of the hired hand is you can't 
earn money or enjoy the money that you're making if you're dead, right? So what he'll, he'll just, he'll, he'll preserve his own life at the expense of the sheep, even in the face of danger. But for the shepherd, not the hired hand, for the shepherd, it's different. He's employing a different kind of logic. See, the sheep are more valuable to him than just money. The life of a shepherd is of relative worth without sheep. And therefore, he would do anything to protect them because he loves them. And for this reason, Jesus emphatically, and he repeats this twice, he says, verse, first in verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he says it again, look there in verse 15. Just as the father knows me, I know the father, and what? And I lay down my life for the sheep. These sheep are worth more than money. Like they're worth his life. Now, listen, if, if you grew up in the church, maybe I'm starting to sound like Charlie Brown's parents to you. Like you've heard this, yeah, Jesus loves me, I get it. Maybe it sounds too familiar. Maybe it doesn't sound beautiful anymore. But, but I, want, I want to help us think about it. Maybe you can think about it like this. For those of you who love pets, and I should be really careful here because I'm in Denver, and Denverites and pets and their dogs. It's, a weird, it's weird. It's intense. I'll be careful. But I want to say, first of all, I don't get you at all. <laughs> I, I have pets that I don't even like. Uh, it's confusing to me how sometimes we love our pets more than we love our children. That's like a thing in Denver. Like, we're like, I don't want to have children. I just want pets. I'm like, whoa. You know, like, I don't understand this. Now, listen, I'm a Pharisee and a legalist about this. I, I'm in counseling. All right, so I, whatever. But for those of you who have pets, imagine your dog is playing on the train tracks and a train is heading straight for your dog. Would you push your pet out of the way and die in its place? Of, of course not. Of course not. I mean, there are probably a few of you, if your dog was amazing and smart, perfectly obedient and loyal, that saving your dog's life would cross your mind because you're a compassionate person. But still, even in the end, you would not do it. It's still unthinkable, even for an amazing dog. But what about for a terrible dog? <laughs> like one that barks at you all the time? One that like urinates on your furniture? One that's like constantly running away? One that bites you and has rabies? I mean, who would die for a dog like that? Now the metaphor's starting to get closer to home. You see, that's starting to more closely resemble our relationship with Jesus. We bite, we scream, we complain. We have no loyalty. We have rabies. And Jesus would push you out of the way of the train and die in your place every single time. Why? Because he is the good shepherd. I laid down my life for my sheep. And even if you don't believe in Christ, if this is who he says he is, wouldn't you want that to be true? Maybe you don't believe it, but you'd want it to be true. Because that is beauty beyond our imagination. This is enchanting beauty. 
And this is why Christians are so obsessed with Jesus. This is like why we talk about Jesus all the time. Like this is why we give our money away. This is what we teach our children every single day. This is why we reorganize our lives around the body of Christ. This is why we just like joyfully confess our sins. We are like so enchanted by this beauty that we'll do anything to experience it daily in our lives because we were designed and created for this kind of beauty. Christianity is not about looking at a bunch of rules to see if we can live up to the standards. It's about placing our gaze upon Jesus and becoming lost in his beauty, a kind of beauty that can transform us from the inside out. He is the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd. All right, let's review. Why does Jesus call himself the good shepherd, this beautiful one? It's because, as we've seen, unlike others, he knows his sheep comprehensively and he stays. It's because he protects them, even at the cost of his own life. And we got one more. And my, you guys, man, I really want beauty to captivate your heart. So let me conclude this sermon with just one final reflection. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd because of the way that he uses his authority. That's our third point. And let me explain this. This passage ends in this mysterious, Jesus, he's like mysteriously talking about his death and his resurrection. Look there again in your Bibles in verse 18, talking about his, his death and resurrection. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. So what Jesus is saying here is that he will not be a victim of evil plots, of the the false shepherds and these religious leaders. So, you know, it's interesting, later in the Gospel of John, right before his death, this is in chapter 19, he's with Pontius Pilate and they're having this conversation and Jesus like wants to tell Pontius Pilate like who's really in charge. This is what, this is what, this is how the conversation, Pilate says, do you refuse to talk to me? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus responds, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Like Jesus is in control there. Now, why does he do this? Like, why does he, why does he say it like that? Because it's extremely to know, important to know, and you must understand this, Christian, that the death of Jesus was not an accident and it wasn't a series of unfortunate circumstances. Jesus is not a victim. And it's, this is how Jesus wants us to understand his use of authority. He uses it for you and for me. He doesn't use his authority to make his own life better. 
He uses his authority to make your life better and abundant. After Jesus says these things, the, the religious people, they become like incredibly upset. They start accusing him of being like uh, possessed by this demon, right? I mean, who talks, right? Who talks like this? Look at verses 19 and 20. The Jews who heard these words were divided. Again, many of them said, he is a demon, he's demon possessed and raving mad. Well, why, why listen to him? And they, they were upset, but why were they so upset at Jesus? I mean, right? Like, why aren't they enchanted by beauty? Why are they upset instead of enchanted? Here's the answer. It's because they had a version of God that was very tame and very domesticated. So in their system, the religious people used their religion to give them control. And Jesus comes along and he says, like, look at my beauty. I am God and you are no longer in control. I am for their entire lives, these religious leaders, like every day they were reciting Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Who do you think the shepherd is? It's Jesus says, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am your Lord. Behold my beauty. Like they were in the presence of beauty. And in that moment, these religious leaders become acutely aware that they are no longer in control and they hated surrendering power. And everyone who encounters Jesus in the Bible, you know this, has one of three reactions. Either you love him, you fled from him, or you tried to kill him. And these religious leaders opted for the third, and they tried to kill him. But it's Jesus who controls his own destiny. He is the authority. And the great shepherd of the sheep, under his own authority, this shepherd, under his own authority and with love in his heart, he allowed it. He allowed it. And he hung. And Jesus identified with us so closely, even to the point of death. The shepherd became one of the sheep, just like it was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before this. You remember the other great prophet Isaiah in 53? He says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep of before his shears is silent. And so he did not open his mouth. Jesus was fully in control 
He did not put up a fight. He willingly gave up his life so that you could have it. This is who he is. You hear me? This is who, this is who he is. This is how Jesus uses his authority. And that's how come Jesus would say, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And we do. We have that life because Jesus surrendered it under his own will for you. I am the good shepherd, he says to us. Indeed he is. Amen.